Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Jen Creighton to talk with us about debugging asynchronous JavaScript, which is not always the funnest. So I'm I'm excited to learn more. And this episode actually is really cool because it's a it's going to be a little bit of a preview of Jen giving a talk on debugging asynchronous JavaScript at Reactathon, which is happening in person in San Francisco at the start of May. The conference has been a great one. I've gone to it a few times throughout the it's years that it's been around. And actually, Front End Happy Hour was able to do a panel, live panel discussion a few years ago when we before the pandemic. That was a lot of fun too. But yeah, Jen, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Yes, I would love to. So hello, hi, I'm Jen with two N's, very important. Um, I currently work at Netflix where I'm on the Node.js platform team and I previously worked at Apollo on Apollo Client. I've been in the front end space for a very, very long time. Um, and you know, mostly what I do is JavaScript and giving a lot of talks, which I am so excited to be going back to in-person talks. I have not been getting my needs met in terms of being on stage and getting to talk to people and then having people come talk to me after conferences. Those are my favorite parts of this. So I'm super excited about that. And if you ever want to buy me a drink, I am a margarita kind of gal and particularly with mezcal instead of Nice. So a little more smoky uh, of a taste. Yes. yes. I love the smoke of mezcal. Same here. I am definitely, if like I like margaritas and mezcal is definitely a favorite. I've also been liking some of them when they infuse it with like jalapenos or I'm like, oh, now we got even a oh, little extra kick. I can't do that. I'm not good with spice. Okay. That's fair. Um, so it's a smoke, no spice. I like that. That's- yes. No spice. I always tell them to like remove jalapenos or not to use the jalapeno infused, but the smoke is is good. Yeah, and the in person, I'm I'm very much the same, Jen. Like it's the being on stage, it's nerve wracking, and it's like you get the talk done, and it feels so good. But then it's also the people talking to you after, where you're like, oh, good, people are actually got some insight into this. But the online talks, you kind of just walk away, and you're like, I don't know, was that good? I don't know. Sometimes you don't even walk away. Sometimes, I mean, lately you pre-record your talk for an online. It's true. So you don't even like, it just runs some time at some point and you're like, I hope it went well. I hope people got something out of it, but you, do, you don't get the feedback. Also, you do not get to hear people laugh at your jokes, which is for me, like the worst part. I, I need to know that I'm funny. Oh, you need the feedback or you're like, yeah. it could have been the funniest joke, but like, you don't even know if it lands. And sometimes they don't land on stage. It's awkward, but you, you kind of roll through it. But yes, yeah. in person is where it's at. It gives you more energy to give a talk. So I'm, I'm it really you. does. I, I'm pretty sure Gem and I both can attest to that. Before we dive in, let's give introductions of today's panelists. Jem, you want to start it off? Jem Young, engineering manager at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm an engineering manager at Netflix as well. So three Netflix folks talking about asynchronous JavaScript. I'm excited. (laughs) In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Browser. Browser. All right. So if we say the word browser from now on, we'll all take a drink. Let's maybe start, like we kind of got on this little bit of a conference talk. I would love to maybe hear what all does your talk cover at Reactathon? What should people expect from the talk? So what they should expect is that we're going to be talking about 
why async bugs are so difficult in the first place, why they kind of drive us to madness. I've definitely felt like throwing my laptop at a window and the hardest bugs that I've ever had to solve have been of an async nature. We're going to talk about a lot of common missteps that lead to those bugs because one of the major themes of this entire talk is your best way to debug something is to know it well. That's your best way. That's the best thing that you can possibly do to debug anything is know what you're talking, like know what you're working with really well. So if we look at the common missteps, you know, you can start to get a sense of when these types of bugs are happening in your code. You'll be a little bit better with that. And then finally, we're going to look at what it looks like to use the debugger, the Chrome developer tools debugger to actually step through asynchronous code. Um, that's one of my favorite ways to debug async code. Awesome. I mean, I love how that's painting the picture really well. I'm excited to see the talk and I'm sure others are. But let's maybe dive into <laughs> my thought on it too, is like asynchronous JavaScript is hard to debug. Why is it particularly hard? Well, because a lot of times nothing happens. That's like nothing happens. You don't see what's actually happening because it's async. So your failures are sometimes quiet. Um, data that you think you're getting, you're not getting, but there's no errors. It's not synchronous in that way. So it's not going to fail for you in the same ways. Um, that's one of the, the big reasons that it is so difficult. And one of the things that I always come up against is when I didn't know something was async and there's a silent failure and then you have to figure out that it was async the whole time. And that's why it was silent. I'm picturing Jan with like, uh, you know, the Scooby-Doo mask like lift off the hood it was like the whole time <laughs> i at first i was like where are you headed with that gem but i'm like that is actually amazing way to describe it it's front and half hour you never know where we're gonna go no it's true jen can i ask do you think async has always been hard or is it because async await kind of obfuscates a little bit of the logic away and it makes it harder Ooh. To about? i think async is difficult in and of itself right just writing async code. All right. So on one side, we have just like actually writing, writing the damn thing. And async code really messes with your brain's natural inclination that things happen in a certain order, right? So you have to do this like shifting of your mind, you know, galaxy brain kind of shifting um, to remind yourself like how async works, how to actually write it. And you have to do that same thing when you're debugging it, um, which is very, very frustrating. But you hit on a point that is really, really important, which is that we have in JavaScript a bunch of ways of doing async code, right? We used to be all about callbacks, and then we had callback hell, <laughs> then we got promises, turned out that's almost, that's promise hell. Um, there's async generators, which also use promises, and now there's async await. Um, and that doesn't even get into like, set timeout and event loop things, right? So there's a bunch of different ways of doing async and JavaScript and keeping in your mind what happens for which one and what they do and how they're different is really difficult and leads to a lot of mistakes, like just easy mistakes to make when you're working with these things or not learning them all the way through. So like async await is one that like I have struggled with for a long time because I didn't sit down and like really learn it. That's a valid point too, because you're like, I know what it, what I'm using it for, but not necessarily like how it's necessarily working. And so when 
you're debugging it is actually really that comes in to help you because you're like oh i really understand like what's happening here and i think I mean, I've definitely fallen trapped to that where you're like, oh yeah, like a callback It's you know, it's going to do what it does, but you don't really know how much you need to know about it until you have to debug it. Another thing you mentioned too, is like, for me has always been a hard one, whether it even be like those set timeouts, it's the order of operation, right? Like if you're just being able to debug something in the browser, cheers, you can set breakpoints, right? And, and be able to like watch and what's happening, but with asynchronous it's not that simple. And so that's always like, give it, it's just, it's a little bit of a mind trick. Yeah. How much do y'all still rely on console.log to debug? I'll just speak and say, I still use it a ton and especially with asynchronous. Yes. Yes. Okay. So sometimes when I talk about this on the Twitters, um, people say things like, oh, I know I shouldn't be using console.log to debug anymore. I'm like, why not? Why yeah. not? It's your first line of defense. It's your first thing that you get to throw in there. It's not always helpful with async code because the order of operations, right, is yep. Um, but it's always the, like the first step for me. It's still extremely helpful for me when I'm debugging, no matter if it's async or sync. Oh yeah, it is your go-to right off the hop. It's simple, and you're right. Like you don't know the synchronous, like where it's like okay, this is the order of operation, but you're seeing what's coming or not coming. Because you even said something earlier, Jen, is some of these asynchronous failures are happening silently. And so at least you can try and like get something showing up in the console to tell you what's happening. Yeah. And like when you're seeing it show up in the console out of order, the order you expect anyway. Yep. There you go. That's your first clue that you're running into an async bug. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good clue. Yeah. I, and I like, I really love that tip, Jen, on uh, using console. Because I've seen so many people fight their tools and like, oh, my tool's not working, so I can't figure out how to debug. I'm like, well, now you're just adding more work on top of yourself. Like, get down to the basics, especially debuggers should be as simple as possible. On that, Jen, can you, can you tell us about the debugger keyword? I don't think a lot of people know that that exists and it's very helpful for debugging async sometimes. Yeah, I don't always actually use it, um, but it is available. Uh, you can throw a debugger into your code and it will stop the Chrome developer uh, debugger at that point. And you can continue on in the code if you would like. It's an easy way of doing that. Um, is there anything else that I'm missing? No, it's it's one of the simpler tools. It works in Node too. Yeah. It works in Chrome. You're like, I want to know when this code gets hit and I want to stop and inspect. Just throw a debugger with the semicolon and yeah, the, the code will stop. Your inspector will stop if you have things configured correctly. But yeah, that, that's a great tip. Not, not enough people know about that one. I don't know why. I think it's sort of um, fallen out of favor almost. Like again, it's this whole, I should be using a complex tool for debugging is sort of where people's mind goes to like, Chrome developer tools, right, has a lot of really wonderful things that are going to help you debug, but all of it was born out of the things that you have to do to debug anyway. It's not like there, it's like some magic of which you will never understand how to debug something. Like they're, they're adding something, some magic to it that's going to suddenly unlock your brain. Um, it's just giving you some more tools. One of the great things about the debugger statement and just using the debugger in general um, is that it will 
kind of change async code to be synchronous because you can stop the process at any point that you want to stop the process and step through it in a synchronous way instead of console.log where great first tool to use, but once you get to a certain point in debugging, it doesn't really help you with the async sort of thing. You don't have as much insight into like what's actually going on. So anyway, it's, this is all to say, like pick the tool that works for you. Don't like tell yourself you have to use like all of Chrome developer tools at all times. I have gotten pretty far in my career just using console.log and debugger. Okay. I, I mean, I've gotten far using alerts, you know, before console <laughs> log. So, <laughs> or border color. Red, oh, border you know? color. I, that's still used heavily, and I, that's a good one. I, I think you called out an interesting point too, Jen. Is like we all get on Twitter and say like, oh yeah, like I don't need console dot log. It's like why? Like why are we fighting that as an industry or or saying those things? Like it, it's a helpful tool. Well, you know, we um. We like to talk about engineering as if it is saving lives in some way. And so if it's not this complex system that requires all these tools to do, is what we do really hard? And is if, you know, if what we do isn't really hard, why are we being paid so much? <laughs> oh, so we're justifying our costs. Okay. All right. That's fair. <laughs> somewhat justifying our costs and somewhat acting like gatekeepers. Yes. Um, to be honest. Right? Yep. Shitty not us, helpful. but we do it. Yeah. Not helpful at all. Debugging async is difficult. Uh, it can be. Mm -hmm. Are we too reliant on our modern tooling? Like, do people not edit what's going on under the hood? So if like Chrome debugger tools doesn't work, people are like, I have no idea what's going on. Or is that like our tools are so good, why would you do it like any other way? I do feel like people have an over-reliance on tools or like um, TypeScript. God, I could just, I can actually hear the TypeScript reply guys like coming out of the woodwork towards me right now, just from saying that. But when you have an over-reliance on that stuff, like you don't get to learn how things actually work under the hood. And the more you don't learn how things work under the hood, you will get yourself into a situation where you cannot move forward without that, that tool. So like in the, in the TypeScript way, right? In this, as I'm writing this talk, some of the missteps that you would make in async code are solved for you, and I say that with quotation marks around it, um, by TypeScript yelling at you that you haven't done something. Okay. But if you never actually learn why you need to do the thing that TypeScript is yelling at you about, is that good for you as an engineer? And at some point in your life as an engineer, you will be working with non-TypeScript code. Like, you will be working with old like more legacy code at some point, JavaScript only code at some point. So did you just make it so you have to use this thing to figure things out? Did you did you really do a disservice to yourself with that? I think about this a lot. Yeah, I, I follow on your thoughts on TypeScript too. I, I go back and forth. It's a useful, I won't say abstraction over JavaScript because I know people are going to yell at me for that. But like it, <laughs> it, it does provide a lot of helpful hints. Yeah, it does. My fear is people never move beyond that. So like when you're starting off, like, yeah, for, for real, use console or use uh, Chrome debugger tools, use TypeScript, use all these things when you're starting off. But at some point, you want to make the switch to senior and you need to know what's going on. And if your tooling doesn't work, like you still need to be able to solve it. Uh, I'm thinking of my team right now solving an issue with the server. There's no tools. There's no like fancy tools. Like when you're trying to track down a, job, a node error on the server, like you just have to go into logs and understand what's happening. So 
I, I'm with you, Jen. I, I think it's just people, a lot of, I use a tool to understanding how that tool works. We kind of just stop and that's, I won't say surface level, but like the, the knowledge doesn't go as deep as it should. And that I see is like a coming problem for more and more people that just don't understand like, how does asynchronous code work? How does a promise work? Can you write your own promise? Yeah, you don't need to know that at like five years, but at a, a 10 year JavaScript engineer, yeah, I expect you to be able to code your own promise. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. No. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. No, and I think also to that point, Jem, is like, it's hard to like, it's hard because there's so many things that I feel like we've talked about this many episodes, like for front end, especially it's like, there's so many things to cover and so many different tools that people I think do fall back on, like relying on that and not going deep because there's so much to like scratch across the like high level of, oh, I need to know like all the build tooling, all these tools like that are for debugging and that people aren't even just taking a step back and so in like, what are those fundamentals? And I think that's where it can get daunting too, is they, they focus on so many of these high, high level things that it's hard to go deep. I think also just on the topic of debugging in general, it is not formally taught. We are Ooh, not taught good point. the steps you take, the way that you build intuition about what a bug like what's gone wrong with a bug. And so you can hit against a wall over and over and over again because debugging is one of your best ways to learn anything deeply. It really is. And so if you don't know how to even do the debugging steps well, you your brain like can't even take the time it needs to learn the thing that you're working with and figure out what's going on. It just gets so overwhelmed and frustrated. Um, that learning is, is difficult at that stage too. Well put. Yeah. Like it's just not something that you deal with. It's like, if it's working, that's great. But I think that also comes with experience as you've had to deal with some wild bug that you're like trying to debug and figure out it. It's like, that's experience and you start to learn from it by doing. Yeah. And so in this talk, I go through a couple of examples that are like very common, like missteps in async code. And I start off by saying, if you see this code and you don't know why it's a problem, don't worry about that. Like, this is not a quiz. But if you do, if you know exactly what's gone wrong in this code example, I want you to take some time and think about why you know that. Why do you know that that's the bug that's happening? It's probably because you've written something like this before. You've made this mistake before. You've seen this before. Like almost always it has to do with experience. You've experienced the bug or the thing before and that's why you know, that's why you built that instinctual, oh, I know exactly what just went wrong here. Great point. I love the missteps area too. Like what are some of the like common missteps that like, because I'm assuming you're coming at it from like, those early coding aspects where it's like, you're not even thinking that you have to debug, but it's like the misstep is early on. And like, what are some of those things to maybe avoid or think about? Yeah. Some of the stuff is like, um, especially with promises and async await, like not doing proper try catches. Um, so letting errors be silent, um, not actually catching them. Um, sometimes also when you write a promise, not even properly rejecting the promise. Uh, that's a very common mistake. That happens a lot. Uh, I found out that all through the hard hard way. It's doing. <laughs> you learn from <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I would I would watch a talk on proper try catches or at least proper error handling. I've never seen one. I've never heard anybody talk about it. 
I think it's it's just the way JavaScript is executed that we don't have to worry so much about try catches. Like when I was writing Java, mm -hmm. you you obviously wrap everything because you'll crash the server or the the compiler won't work if you don't catch your errors. But JavaScript's so loose and kind of like, yeah, bro, you do whatever you want to do. Like I'll I'll run pretty much. It just won't run the way you expect. That we end up in these weird states. That's why I think your talk is going to be particularly good because like. I think aside thinking about like how a senior engineer like yourself walks through solving problems is is really important because that I think that reasoning uh, we're getting all of your years of experience and knowledge and hard hard fought and distilling it down into like some concrete steps are probably the most helpful things for new people to advance their career. I I, I think rather than you spending hours on your own like making these common mistakes that we've all made. Like listen to somebody and learn and then figure out like what their thought process is and try to adopt some of that. You know, we, we mentioned some of the tools a bit, you know, and I'm, I'm even happy to hear that like console log is a tool still. Chrome dev tools, obviously that's a, a big one. Are there like other tools that are specific to debugging asynchronous JavaScript? Well, I don't have as much experience, but I do know that there's this whole new sort of range of tools that are coming out that are to help you not just debug code, whether it's sync or asynchronous, um, but to give you a better like lay of the land of like a, an architecture, um, like a code base. For instance, um, CodeC is one a really interesting company. Uh, they're working on uh, tools that uh, are like a really souped up Chrome developer tools and will give you sort of everything you need to like start to get up to speed in a code base quicker. Um, so that's like a whole new range. I think replay.io is like another one um, that they're working on like very specific debugging tools. So not necessarily just for async, but just like debugging tools. So it's actually becoming more and more of a thing that there are these like companies that are spinning up to solve debugging problems. Which is interesting in itself. Like all of what we've all just said is that it's like, it is a hard problem set and an important problem set, problem set as engineers, like needing to know how to do that. But it, it, it obviously is a big deal when you have companies spinning up and building models around that as their business. Like that kind of tells you something right there. Right. I know we started this off by saying like console.log is perfectly fine. And yet there are companies like building entire tools. Um, but there's a difference between something in your like day-to-day -day work in a code base that you know somewhat well or you're getting used to versus a huge system that you don't know how any of the pieces interact. Like there, like console.log and even the debugger aren't going to help you that much. That's a good point. Like they're building things like all around, like you mentioned code C it's like, it's not just for debugging. It's, it's trying to point you, especially a large code base or an ecosystem of code bases and microservices like at Netflix, it's like, it's trying to connect the dots for you. It's like trying to smartly like help you to visualize and see what, what are those points and you know, how are you interacting between these two um, services? Uh, any other tools that have been like helpful to you, Jen, that you find you go to um, to debug? I mean, I just use, I'm pretty old school and I just use the basics, man. I use the console.log. I use the debugger. I use, people don't realize that this is like a debugging um, like option, but like modifying your code to see what happens, right? Like 
you know, that's a thing. That's a real debugging tool is like just modifying your code. Yeah. Change it. See if something changes. If it doesn't, all right. Let's see what, yeah. try something else. What if I return here instead of here? What will happen? Like, you know, trying the things out. Um, I use just really the basics and like I've gone, I've done pretty well with just that for all of my career. Just good. Good to know that like, like we have the solid tools in place for like these types of things, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was expecting even just like, I'm like, well, maybe I'm missing something that there's like these brand new tools that I should know about. And it's like, no, it kind of gets back to like our points that have been brought up in this episode. That's like a lot of those fundamentals, like a lot of it has not changed, but you still have those tools and they're still great and you can really leverage them. And there's like fun stuff on console that actually, I think only in the past like year, I was like, oh, you can do console.table or- yes. Um, I didn't use console.assert like as much as I do now. Um, so I've been using that a lot more. Uh, console. I think trace is it for like getting the stack trace? Yep. Uh, console.dir will uh, dump an object for you. It'll unwrap it and like dump the whole thing. What? Just like the object name. Yeah, console's got a lot of good stuff in there. Oh, yeah, man. console has some good stuff. All right. I didn't know about that one. So that's like, that's really powerful. See, like even that it's like, you don't know about all these things. And, and of course things keep getting added. Right. And if you're not paying attention or you, I think even sometimes you see someone do that or Jem just mentioned that I'm like, Whoa, that's super handy. Like I want to leverage that the next time. So now I got to remember that. So thanks Jem. Let's do an episode on all the console methods. It's awkward. Ooh. I, I, I don't, I've never heard it. Uh, but I don't think most people are aware they exist. Yeah. We yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like even like any, with anything, it's like some of the like properties that exist in like CSS, like you start to like untwine, like all the different things that are there and you're like, whoa, there's a lot there. So it's, it's, it's knowing these things and knowing they exist is, is half the battle. You can like keep using something for like a really long time and not realize something else has been added um, for a while. So Whenever I have to do something with an array and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to use this. Sometimes I'll just open up the MDN docs though and like scan the list of available things and be like, is there something that I like am less familiar with that would do this better? Like promise.race and promise.all. I didn't know about for the longest time. And I was like, what? This is like changing the way I'm thinking about doing promises and executing asynchronous code. Or promise.all settled. Ooh, I, I, I didn't know about that one. Me neither. Explain. Okay. Uh, I will actually will have to look up the documentation to make sure I explain it correctly um, because I have actually yet. We should point out there's, this is uh, Jen Creighton, senior software engineer at Netflix, arguably. Googling. <laughs> uh, Googling. Yeah. One, yes. one of the best engineering companies in the world, in my opinion, uh, is still Googling stuff because that's totally okay. Nobody knows everything memorized. <laughs> or at least oh, I, okay. I hope so. you don't. Yeah, no, it is just it's too much. Okay, so uh, promise.all settled will return a promise that resolves after all of the given promises have either fulfilled or rejected. Whereas promise.all, when there's a rejection, the whole thing fails. Ah, so you're getting more insight into exactly what's happening. That's super right. handy. One of the problems with promise.all is that you don't always know which one failed. You just know there was a failure. Promise.all settled will let you inspect to, de to decide like which one failed or if there were several failures. Learn something new every day. Uh, so I can put a bunch of weights in my promise.all settled. And then if one of them fails, 
it will tell me which one failed? Yeah, it'll tell you which one. It'll give you back, um, the output looks different. So it'll actually give you which ones were fulfilled and which ones were rejected. So you can actually like make decisions instead of, oopsie, something went wrong. Yeah, because knowing something, it's like clearly something's not working. That that That's not that helpful when a console is telling you that, right? You're like, yeah, no, I know something's not working. What? Yeah, and it's fine when it's like, I mean, most of the time that we're dealing with asynchronous data, we're dealing with network requests, right? So you can just go look at the network tab and find out usually what's gone wrong. But occasionally that's not what you're doing. Occasionally you're actually working with some other asynchronous code that's not calling a network request at all. And then you lose your insight into what's happening. So Jen, getting back to maybe your talk too, what are your hopes for people taking your talk in? What are your hopes that they walk away with? Oh, um, I really, one of the big, big goals of the talk is just to start to help people develop those like it's almost like muscle memory for when bugs have gone wrong. Um, here's like the more you can see, here's what it looks like when you've made X mistake, the more likely you can bring that back to your day-to-day -day job and be like, ah, I made that mistake. I can, I can see the outcome. I know what I did. Um, so that's really like the overarching goals. I want them to be able to build a little bit of that muscle through this talk um, and come away with, you know, being able to go back to their jobs and like seeing like, oh, okay, I know I'm a little bit clear on like how this works, how to debug this, the misstep I made, why it matters. I like that. I like that there's like something tangible and I, I really like the misstep part that you keep calling out. Think about it as like, hey, there's a problem. Now I have to go debug, but you're you're really approaching as like get ahead of that problem and and really understand these issues before they actually happen. I think that's really, really powerful. So I think that in itself is a great approach. That's been how, like the, so I, I love debugging. I like really love it. It's probably my favorite part of being a software engineer just in total. But I've met a lot of people that don't like it that much. Sometimes when it's going really well, they feel really good. But sometimes when it's going really bad, you feel really terrible. Um, and the only way I could think of, it was like, well, what's the difference between when it's gone badly and when it's gone well for me? Um, it's usually that I've had some previous experience with this thing, um, or I know the thing really, really deeply so that I can be like, oh, I did a thing. I forgot the await because you forgot X about this. Um, and so that's what I like started to mold the, the talk around essentially. I, I like that direction of the talk of just like, I'm not special. I'm not genius coder. It's a lot of times you've just seen this problem before. So you look at it and you're like, oh, it's clearly this. And people are like, whoa, Jen, holy crap. What an engineer, which is not, not at all not true, but there's also an element like I've struggled and I've seen this. So let's not put people on pedestals too, too quickly. Uh, but also like it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is, is there a little bit of a meta talk here where it's just like investing in being in debugging is like one of the more useful things you'll learn rather than trying to memorize like all the every type of TypeScripts tooling out there or other things people might want to invest in, like knowing all the frameworks, knowing how to debug is probably one of the better investments you want to make as a 
more senior engineer? That is just overall, like, I think one of my philosophies as a software engineer. One of the things that I pride myself on is being able to debug nearly anything that I get myself into. Um, Or if I'm really in a corner, getting someone to help me and figuring out, I always ask them, I'm like, how did you know that? How did you know that that was the problem? And then they tell me, and then I now know what they know. Um, you're right though. It is meta. Like I am, I am secret. I secretly always put in something meta into my talks and you sussed it out too quickly. How dare you? Oh, I love it. <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> As we jump into picks, I always find it helpful to leave uh, our audience with like a really key thing to take away. I feel like there's tons of gold in this episode already. But for each of you, if someone's dealing with asynchronous code and they're having to debug it, what's one really key takeaway that you would want to provide our listeners with? If you're debugging something and you're really, if it's async and you're hitting a wall, whether it's promises or async await or something else, go a few steps back. Go a few steps back and be like, do I actually know this thing really well? Have I misunderstood what's going on here? And start to like dig into how the thing actually works and then come back. You know, my, my coding school has gone down since I became a manager. <laughs> what does that say about mine, man? It's worse. That's what Managers it, always say this too. It's true. You just... You've been a manager for how long? Almost a year now. Coming up soon. Oh. I know. You basically it's forgot like how to skill just dropped off the cliff. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'll, I'll follow on to Jen's advice, which is like, make sure you understand actually what's happening. Because chances are you don't, and that's where the issue is coming in. Uh, the other one is still debugger, man. It's so great. It works in browser and node. Just throw it in there. If the code doesn't stop in a particular area, then you know like you're it, the code is not executing in the flow that you think. So you need to step back and like find that point where it's executing. And also, yeah, console.log is still awesome. I still use it. You can't beat it. It will always work in no matter what environment you're in. Which I think you both made me feel better as a manager. Like I was like expecting that we've moved past console.log. I've been a manager for too many years that I'm like, yeah, I still code like not as much as I ever had as an engineer, but I do from time to time. And like, that's still my go-to just maybe it's also because I didn't have time to go learn something new, but I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that's still a thing. I think another point to maybe call out, and we, we did talk about this in the episode, but don't rely so much on the tools. We talked about TypeScript and TypeScript. We've talked about this many times through various episodes, but I think a lot of people think TypeScript is going to solve the world. It's going to make, there's no, there's no bugs anymore. That's not true. There's still going to be bugs. It's hopefully catching some of those so that you don't have to deal with them, but it doesn't solve everything. And so I think that's always something to call out is like, these are just tools, but at the end of the day, there's still going to be bugs. There's still things that you need to deal with and you just can't rely on that. Write tests. That's an important one. And also I'll call out Jem's uh, go-to is comments. Comments are still helpful, especially during debugging. You might run into an error like, a week or two from now that you wrote code and you're like, what was I thinking? Write a comment. It really goes a long way. All right. Well, in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to share pics of things that we found interesting with all of you. And Jem, do you want to start it off? Yeah. Uh, today I have two pics. Uh, the first one is uh, slightly more controversial in a different direction. Uh, during the the horrible 
war in Ukraine that is still ongoing. Uh, it, it's about the the coverage of it was very different from other conflicts that I've seen. And I was like, this is weird. Th this is this is terrible, obviously. But like, why is the media coverage so different this time around? And I came across this article by uh, Ishmael uh, and uh, Darrow in The Nation called uh, Media Malpractice and Information War in Ukraine. It's all about the way people are portraying what's happening and how it's different from, say, a conflict in Africa or a conflict in Syria. And it, it really bothered me because like, there's like a lot of latent racism in, in the undertones and how they're covering it. Uh, there's been journalists who say, oh no, this isn't some third world backwards country. They had cars and Instagram and internet, which other countries do too. But like, you rarely get to see kind of the world's, I, I don't know a better way to put it than like, prejudice and racism in full display than how you describe the victims of Ukraine versus the victims of any other war. And I'm not calling us out to say like, we're putting too much emphasis, just like, let's be cognizant of that. And like, let's take a moment now to reflect on why this is being treated differently than other conflicts. Why is it that Europe opened borders more readily for this one than other, other places in the world? Like people are suffering all over. Let's treat people equitably. And I, and again, I'm, I can't stress enough. I'm not saying don't treat people of Ukraine differently. I'm saying let's treat everybody at the same level and like let's view it in the same lens. Uh, and there's been a few journalists who have called this out about how how differently this has been perceived versus like say the Syrian conflict from a few years ago or any genocide going on in, in Africa at any given point or a conflict in India or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think these times are a great place to reflect and just think about how we view the world. Why do we care more about these people than other people? Just, it was just something that's been weighing on me as I've been watching this coverage uh, for the past few weeks. My second pick, a bit more lighthearted. I, I don't have any Valley Silicon picks because inflation is in full force. Uh, the government says it's at 8%. It's likely much higher than that. And I know I feel it when I go to a grocery store right now, just, it's painful. It cost me well over a hundred dollars to fill up my car the other day. Uh, yeah, you can at me on Twitter for not driving electric, whatever. I'll deal with it. So in all this, I, I'm I'm looking and I was like, you know, I can't actually valley silicon anything. I can't call out particularly expensive technology because I don't know what's particularly expensive anymore due to inflation, chip shortage, et cetera. So I had to take a pause on that until I find some like really egregious stuff. So instead of my normal valley silicon pick, my second one is a Netflix TV show. It is in season four. It's called Drive to Survive. It is all about covering the most recent season of Formula One, which I've really gotten into. Almost everybody I've told about it has gotten into it. Uh, it's just, like I said, it's the most expensive drama in the world where you have uh, 20 of the, the world's greatest racing drivers with in the most expensive sport in the world, all duking it out where they settle things on the track. It, I really can't say it enough how great Formula One is and how Drive to Survive has like revived our interest in it. So Drive to Survive season four, now streaming on Netflix. Can't recommend it enough. And the F1 Formula One season starts soon. By the time this episode comes out, uh, the race will already be over. Those are my picks. Right on. Jen, what do you have for us? I've, like a lot of people during the pandemic, gotten into plants. Now, not to the level... That some people have, okay? Because I have, unfortunately, a cat 
and he loves to eat plants. Yep. So I'm not allowed to have that many. Also, some of them are poisonous. But one thing of the plants that I'm very, very into is ferns. We just discovered that, like, I love ferns. I think they're really beautiful. Admittedly, they're also finicky, though. So if you're getting a fern and you you want a good fern to get, may I please recommend to you a blue star fern. They're one of the easier ferns to take care of. They're really pretty. They have these gorgeous, like, kind of bluish green leaves. Um, I got my first one earlier this year. It is, like, my favorite of my little plant, little family. So blue star ferns, easier to take care of. 1010, do recommend. Um, And... I have been really enjoying, um, as I've gotten back to New York, the weather has gotten a little bit nicer. The case numbers have gone down for COVID. I have been going out into the world a bit more, forgot how much I enjoy that. And um, one of the things I've been doing is going back to my regular yoga sessions. Um, So I just want to encourage that if you have never tried yoga, It has a lot of benefits. It has really helped me a lot with my anxiety. It's super calming. Um, It really gives me like some time and space to myself. I actually got certified as a yoga instructor during the pandemic because I loved it so much. And if you've never given it a try, this is your call to do so. I love that. You know what? I, I will agree. I think yoga is great. It's one that I've like, I have tried and done. It's hard to do like regularly or you need to get into that. And it's like, but it has so many benefits. It's not just like a workout. I mean, it is good. It's a hard workout, but I, I love it. It is a good workout. But yes, it is. Yeah. I was going to ask, is there like dad yoga? Because I feel like I, I want to get into yoga. I know it's good for me, but I already know I'm the, like the least flexible person in the world. And I, I, I don't know. I don't want to be embarrassed a class for people that are really not flexible so they can just stand in the back. And yeah. No there's called them. a yoga class. Yeah. Yeah. You just go to any, <laughs> any yoga class. So here's the thing that I think I just want to put this out there because I really do love yoga and I want everyone to like love it just as much as I do. Um, but please know that at yoga, you can modify for how your body feels and your particular body makeup completely and totally. You do not have to do the moves perfectly. You don't have to be super flexible. You will eventually gain some flexibility from it. You can modify and the teachers don't care. I use like several blocks when I like do moves. I like don't do pigeon properly. I do it on my back because of a hip issue and like nobody cares. It's cool. So just go to a yoga class. You're going to be fine. But also um, if you are a full figured person, there is full figured yoga that they'll go ahead and help you modify. You'd like to do that. Yeah. There's no judgment, Jem. You'd be fine. You can also, you could do it at home. There's so many apps and, and like books and you, you can do it at home and you're, you can embarrass nobody at that point. And then eventually you'll be able to touch your toes and you'll be so proud. Wow. My toes. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, friends. All right. I just have one pick. It's a TV show not on Netflix, uh, as it's really <gasps> funny that we, I know a full Netflix panel that I'm picking something that's not on. It's on Hulu. It's called Dropout. It's the Elizabeth Holmes story, which it's so good so far, which I'm saying so far, I hate 
the like re- weekly releases of episodes. We got to stop doing that. If it was on Netflix, we'd have it all at once. And so I like to binge watch and I wish that I could be doing that. That would be a lot better. But it's super good. Uh, I've really been enjoying it. It's such a cool story. If people aren't familiar with Elizabeth Holmes, uh, she built up a company around testing your blood uh, for health. And it was a lot of fraud going on there. Um, So definitely a really cool story to check out. Jen, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It was so much fun having you on and definitely some amazing insights. And I know like if people are able to go to Reactathon, like I, I think tickets are still available, so they should definitely sign up and and go check out your talk. But where where can people get in touch with you? I am on the Twitter. Uh, so my handle is Girl Code, Girl with a U. I am there, even though I don't tweet too much. But feel like my DMs are open. You know, come talk to me. It's cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And you can find us on Twitter as well at FrontendHH. Tweet at us. Tell us whatever you like about the show or dislike. We always love hearing from you. Any last words? I don't think I have any. I don't this think is I do fun, though. Something, something console. <laughs> <laughs> Console.log forever. <laughs> Console.log forever. That's perfect. I love that.